You are dismissed to teach me to worship. And as they leave, as has become our custom, if you are able and willing, will you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. The reading will be out of Ephesians this morning, which is page 978 of your pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin in chapter or in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning is going to feel a little bit different. As we come to this text, I'm sure many of you have opinions. I'm sure many of you might even have concerns. We all have an understanding of what this passage is about. Of course, yes, it's about marriage. Paul is addressing husbands and wives. As I officiated my first wedding last night, I preached on this passage and I received a lot of feedback. But probably was most important to me, well, not most important, probably what I received most was particular feedback about this passage. And what I realized is that everybody knows this passage. Everybody has heard this passage, whether at a wedding or within the church. And what I've learned in my infancy years of pastoral ministry is that it's actually much harder to preach on a passage that everybody thinks they know. Because inevitably what happens is that we think to ourselves, oh, I've heard this sermon before. I already know what it says and what it means. But if we truly believe the word of God is living and active, then we must believe that even if we've read it one time or five times 
or even a hundred times, God can still change us and transform us through the power of the gospel. If you know this passage, I don't want you to act like you've never heard it before. Hold what you've heard dear to your hearts. May God use it to transform your souls. But I do want us to also come reverently to God's word and let him speak to us through it. Let us not assume that we know everything. And let us focus on what God is telling us this morning. And what I want you to hear this morning is, is that what this passage is really about is it's about Jesus. How God is redeeming you through Jesus. God is redeeming his people. A people who have failed again after another week. After another hour. Through our sin, we continually go back into the darkness. And what this passage is about is God is calling us back in Christ. So I want us, what I want us to see this morning is where this passage is within the structure of the entire book. Where this passage is within the structure of, chapter, of the, this chapter and where this passage is in the story of the gospel. And under that last heading, I actually have two more subheadings, is I want us to also see what the gospel calls us to as Christians, and what the gospel calls us to as couples. This is my first five-point sermon ever, so let's, let's, let's dive in. First, where is this passage within the structure of the book? And, I, and assuming that you've heard, about, heard this passage before, verses 22 to 33, I assume that whenever you come to it, you just start right here in verse 22. But Paul didn't write this letter to couples getting married. He didn't write this as a private letter. He wrote this as a letter to the church for married people and unmarried people alike. It has something for us all. This is what we've been looking for looking at the past 11 weeks. This is, this is our 12th week in the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, we've seen God focus on the truth of the gospel, God's eternal purpose for his people in their transformation as the new people of God, as the covenant people of God, united to their Savior. He has predestined us and redeemed us through his blood. He has resurrected us from our death and transgression and sin. He has brought us peace through his cross, creating us into new creations, a new man. And he's joining us together as his people, as his new temple. We are right now a dwelling place of God the Spirit. He is changing us from the inside out. And then in Ephesians 3, 16, Paul says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what the first three chapters of Ephesians are about. And this leads him directly into what he says at the beginning of chapter 4. And all of you should be able to say this in your sleep. I've said it so many times. We've talked about chapter 4 as the turn in Ephesians. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, urge you, the church, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is vital for us to understand the book as a whole. Here is where Paul shifts from what God has accomplished in Christ to what God is promising and doing to us through His Spirit. God has acted According to his free grace, he has pardoned us from our sin. He does accept us as righteous only because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, which is received by faith alone. And in this turn in chapter 4, he's now going through the rest of the book talking about God's free grace, which is renewing our whole person in the image of God. How we are being enabled, our confession says, more and more to die to our sin and to live unto righteousness. Paul makes us focus on how God is recreating us in the image of Christ. What is even more glorious, what is even more glorious than anything Adam could have offered us, We are receiving so much more in Jesus. Our identities are no longer found in who we used to be. We are now saints called to holy living, to live according to our new selves in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is where this passage lands within the book of Ephesians. Now, where does it fit within these chapters? Well, you'll notice in our English Bibles that in the ESV Bible, verse 22 actually begins a new paragraph. If you have an NIV, NASB, or NKJV, which are the only other three that I had on my shelf, the, the, the paragraph actually begins with verse 21, not verse 22. If you have the NRSV, it places verse 21 on an island completely by itself. It's not attached to the paragraph before it or the paragraph that comes after it. And I actually don't believe that verse 22 should start a new paragraph. Because in the Greek, verse 22 doesn't have its own verb. Verse 22 actually borrows the verb from verse 21. Guess what verb it borrows? Submit. I wish these paragraph headings would just completely disappear from our, from our Bibles. And this is my very uneducated guess. And I'm going to restate that. My very uneducated guess in the English grammar. But I wish verse 22 was connected to verse 21. Verse 21 was connected to verse 20, keeping this as a larger unit together. Because all of it 
it's talking about the same thing. And whether you want to go take it to verse 20, to verse 18, or as I did all the way back to verse 15, this letter is written to the entire church of Jesus Christ. He is calling the church, what he says in verse 15, look carefully of how you walk. This is the context of this part of the letter that's written to husbands and wives. His running metaphor through the gospel is to walk. Paul gives the church the imperative, the command, look carefully how you walk. Church, look carefully how you live every single day of your life. That is what Paul is calling us to. We have been called to a holy living before our holy God who is transforming us. He says in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What Paul is trying to say is captured in the phrase that we use, do not come under the influence of alcohol. Because when you come under the influence of it, we lose our sensibility. That is what debauchery means. When we get drunk, we become under its influence. And the contrast that Paul is saying is we should not be under the influence of alcohol. What influence should we be under? The Spirit. The Spirit is what should drive us in everything that we do. He's juxtaposing being drunk with being filled with the Spirit. And then we have verse 21 and verse 22. We are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in verse 22, really all the way through verse 6-9 of Ephesians, we find what is called the household code. These are commands where God is calling Christians to live like Christians within their own homes. This is all within the context of the gospel itself. God wants our marriages to reflect Christ and his church. That, that, that's what Paul is saying here. And this is why I wanted to look at this in a completely different way this morning. Because what our marriage does, what marriage is for, and what we're going to look at in more depth next week when we look at roles within our marriage, but what marriage itself is for is to exhibit the lordship of Christ on display for the whole world to see. And I got this from this passage after reading this passage over and over and over again. Look, look who Paul is speaking to in verse 22. Wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Look at who this passage is written to in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. But look at who Paul is really talking about. In verse 22, as to the Lord. In verse 23, Christ. 
as Savior. Verse 24, the church and Christ. Verse 25, Christ and his church. Verse 26, Christ sanctifying his church. Verse 27, Christ presenting his bride with splendor. Verse 29, Christ and his church. Verse 30, the church, his body. Verse 32, Christ and his church. Paul wants you to know Christ. He wants us to see our marriage through a lens of the gospel of Christ. This is the largest passage in scripture that speaks on marriage. Ironically, it's written by someone who is single his entire life. He does have specifics about what husbands and wives are to do in their marriage. But what we must see is that Paul is not calling a husbands and wives, to do anything other than what he's calling Christians to do. He tells wives to submit to their husbands. In verse 21, he says, we all should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In verse 25, he calls husbands to love their wives. In verse 5, verse 2, we should all walk in love as Christ has loved us. As Chad and Emily Van Dixhorn say in their book on marriage, which I'm relying heavily upon this morning, submission is part of the standard package of Christian life. Submission is for everyone. Submission, the Christian life is a life of submission. Love is also for everyone. The Christian life is a life of love. As my former pastor, Chris Miller, says, how transformed, how transformed would our marriages be if we just loved each other as Christians are supposed to love each other? How transformed would our church be if we fulfilled what we are called to do as Christians? Reflecting the gospel in our lives. Mutually submitting to one another. Mutually loving one another. Letting the Spirit influence our lives and filling us with all in all. I don't say this because I feel awkward about telling wives to submit to their husbands. I say this because I want us to take verse 21 and verse 22 seriously. Submission is not rooted in chauvinism. It's rooted in the creation and it's rooted in redemption. From the first marriage, God had Christ in his view and us to be recreated through our Savior We are all called as Christians to submit to Christ and to one another. We are not called to submit because I think it's a good idea. We are not called to submit because a man a thousand years ago thought it was a good idea. We are called to submit because that is what God saw for the church to bring him the most glory and us the most good. This is the posture a gospel posture that we're supposed to take towards one another. 
And what if we took this posture into our homes and stood in this posture towards our spouse? What if couples, what if as couples we remembered that Christ did not come to save a beautiful bride? He came to make his bride beautiful by serving her to the point of death on a cross. This is a different type of love. This isn't a romantic or erotic love. This is a self-giving, a sacrificial, covenantal love. It's what all of our relationships, all of our marriages, this is what we need most to remember Jesus. That we need Jesus and our spouse needs Jesus. Because if there's one relationship where the rubber meets the road, it's with our spouse. It's in the bond of being a couple. Because when you look into the eyes of the other person who's laying their head on the pillow next to you, they truly see us for who we are. More than anyone else, however we act in public, however we act at work or even at church, the person that's laying their head in the pillow next to us sees us for who we truly are for how we actually live out what we truly believe. And when I'm at my best husbandry, I am merely just a good Christian. When I'm walking wisely, when I'm filled with the Spirit, when I'm loving her as Christ has loved me and gave himself up for me, And this is because my own sin, I mess it up all the time. We mess it up all the time because we aren't living according to our new natures. We aren't living according to what God has called us to do in Christ. But this is the freedom of the gospel. That through the Spirit, God actually enables us to do this. Through our new self in Christ, we can do this. It can be enjoyable. It can be rewarding. It can be redemptive. We don't need just an education on how to have better marriages. We need to remember who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. Have you ever realized when Paul is writing this letter, he's clearly addressing all people? Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, employers, employees. This isn't a secret letter. This letter was read in public. Every single time the congregation came, they read the entire letter, the entire letter, every single time. Their services were a little bit longer than an hour. What do you think the benefit is of reading this letter in public was for its hearers? I have a couple different reasons why I think it's important. First, I believe this is given publicly so that we can hold one another accountable. Not to lord it over to one another, 
but in order so that we can remind ourselves of who we have called to be in Christ. What better way to display the gospel of grace than to lovingly and graciously remind one another there's a better way at life through the gospel. Second, I believe it's giving publicly so that each one can hear of the great care that God has for each of us. When we hear God standing up for our dignity and our respect that each image bearer deserves because they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we can each hear of our own value. We can each hear of our own glory that Christ came to die for, that Christ promises to give us. We can hear of the value and dignity and glory that we have received in Christ. Third, I believe that these are given publicly so that we can make one another's callings a joy. And I'm going to speak a lot about this next week. But because of the gospel, we are able, as husbands, to make submission a joy for our wives. We can, as wives, and because of the gospel, make it a joy for our husbands to love us. Wives, which one of you wouldn't want to submit to a husband who loved you like Christ loves? Husbands, when you hear that your wife is called to submit to you in everything, is it your desire to make that as easy for her as possible? Is it your desire to make her want to fulfill her calling as the daughter of God? When you hear of their calling, we should do our best to make her feel worthy of respect. We should desire to make her call easy. You are called to love your wives because she is equal in dignity and respect. She too was created in the image of God. Wives, when you hear your husbands are to love you, do you desire to make that easy for him? Is it your desire to make it, make him want to, to fulfill his calling as a son of God? When you hear his calling, you should do your best to be lovable. You should desire to make his call easy. When you submit to him, you are living out the gospel. You are living according to your new nature. You are showing him and reminding him of the dignity that he has because he was created in the image of God. When we do what God calls us to do as his people, we are reminding each other there's a better way, and it's through Christ. None of us can live out our calling perfectly. No one can fulfill the law of Christ without complete and utter reliance upon the Spirit of God and the power that is at work within us. Married life is just like church life. It requires a lot of grace. 
And how do you dispense that grace to your spouse? How do we dispense that grace as church members? We point them to Jesus. If you are not married, child or adult alike, this is the type of spouse that you should desire to marry. One who points you to and reminds you that you need Jesus. That they can't satisfy your every desire. They can't make you whole. It's only Jesus. Students, I hope you experience the blessing of marriage. Because there you can truly live and truly know that you are loved for who you are and who God has created you to be. You will need to show grace just as you have been shown grace. You will need to show patience because Christ has shown you patience. You will, be, you will need to be ready to love unconditionally just as Christ has loved us unconditionally. Our relationships, our marriages should do nothing other than remind us of the gospel of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are to die to our sin. We have been raised in glory. We have new life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are free to obey. We are free to live according to our new natures by the grace that we have received in Christ. As I said in the beginning, we all have opinions about this passage. May our opinion about this passage be that it makes much of Christ. May our opinion about this passage be that it calls everyone to live and believe in the gospel. May our opinion about this passage and about marriage be that we can love, we can submit, we can serve and cherish and have and hold because God has given us all things in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may you bless us as your people. May we see what you truly have given us. You have given us all things. Father, help us live according to this new nature. Call us to faithfulness. Call us to repentance. Call us to love as you have loved us. Father, now feed us with this truth. Nourish us and sustain our souls that we might walk as you have called us to walk. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.